Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. I hope that you are healthy, hydrated, and hopeful, right? That things can get better as, uh, and, and if you don't even think things can get better, at, we at least have to acknowledge that things can change, but uh, I understand it's uh, some days, some moments are just like, ugh, how am I going to get through this? And then you do, and because we remember that we've had other moments where we're like, ugh, how am I going to get through this? And uh, we're still here, and I'm glad that you're still here to hear the story from Lee Skulvsgaard, uh, who was up there in London, Ontario. I didn't even know they had a London, Ontario. He's up there in Canada, where if you've never been, they're very strict about who they let in. I'm going to tell you that right now. I remember I had an orange, and they wouldn't. They almost sent me back home because of a, you would have thought I had 50 grams of cocaine on me. Uh, but I'm excited about today's episode. We are covering a lot of things. We're talking about addiction, uh, childhood abuse, uh, the game that is siblings play. Uh, played uh, that uh, were part of, contributed to his depression and anxiety, and also uh, him considering ending uh, his life a few times. And But we also get to hear the, the idea and the thinking that saved his life and the people who saved his life. Uh, it's, a, it's a very powerful story. Uh, and, and, and with that, we also get to hear about how important it is for us just to share our stories. A lot of us feel alone, feel disconnected, and we think that we're the only ones going through what we're going through. And it's not until we, we share our stories, that we share our feelings, that we show up honestly, that we find out that other people feel the same way, people who we think have it all together. Um, and, and then it's at that moment where we feel connected and you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. It's not about doing what everybody else is doing. It's about just having a similar story about saying, Hey, I feel alone. You feel alone too. Hey, I'm bored. You're bored too. And, and that we don't need to be wearing, uh, the same uniform. We don't need to be part of the same organizations to have a similar story, Right. Um, we also talk about how to sit with not just the emotions of anger and frustration and sadness, but how to sit with joy. How do we sit with happiness? Like, you know, those emotions can be hard to, to, to manage also. Um, and, uh, we talk about so much more, uh, Lee Skovsgaard, uh, has started a clothing company. He is also a real estate guy, but he started a clothing company to bring attention to uh, mental health uh, throughout the world. And uh, he's going to do it one shirt, one jersey, one pair of pants at a time. And uh, we'll link to all those things in the show notes. So with that said, let's jump into the episode. And of course, if you haven't been, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's hear from Lee Skovsgaard. Now, Lee, Lee Skovsgaard, I'm excited to have you on uh, because you have a clothing company, right, to bring awareness to mental health. Is, is that the, the uh, mission, purpose behind your clothing company? Absolutely it is, yeah. It's, uh, it's called LS Original. And, um, yeah, I started it a couple years ago. And, uh, yeah, the main main purpose is just to promote uh, mental health awareness while making monetary donations and to hopefully look good doing it. I, I love it. Yeah, I like that idea of looking good doing it. I think when we talk about mental health, there's always such a, a morbid uh, image. There's always such morbid imagery associated with it. Like you think about people wearing all black or the hair over the mm-hmm. face. And it's like, no, you, you can wear, you know, fun, bright, lively colors and uh, still be discussing and an advocate for mental health. Absolutely. You're in London, Ontario, right? The, don't they call that Forest City? 
they do. I'm actually based in Kitchener, Ontario. Um, I do. I recently did a photo shoot in London. Um, but yeah, I'm based out of Kitchener, Waterloo. So I would imagine that starting a clothing company uh, uh, and to revolve it around mental health, you're trying to combine a couple of things. One, your love for fashion. And then two, uh, bringing awareness to mental health. Did you struggle with mental health issues as a child? Absolutely. Can you can you take us on that journey? Where did it start for you? Um, it's tough to say when it started. Um, I, I actually I just had a uh, counseling session earlier today, and we were discussing my childhood. Um, but uh, I think I became aware of it that I felt differently than, than other people around 14, um, maybe 13 or 12. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, it definitely became more of a prevalent thing throughout my teenage years where it started out as maybe I feel a bit, um, more depressed or anxious than, than, uh, than I should. And, um, eventually came to the point where I realized I needed to get help with it and I couldn't do it by myself. Uh, uh, Lee, are, is there a pen? Is, I, I feel like I hear clicking or something or uh, tapping. Are you, are you fiddling? Oh, yeah. Are you, are you a fiddling? I am, I'm, I'm fiddling. I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop. I love it. Uh, it. I mean, what I love is too. I mean, as you're talking about uh, anxiety, is like, yeah, of course you'd be fiddling, and yeah. I, and it's my fault for not asking. It's like, yeah, any any time somebody is is uh, presenting with anxiety, they're they're gonna be fiddling, tapping, uh, <laughs> rolling around. It's uh, it's funny. As soon as you mentioned that, I was clicking a highlighter, and as soon as I set it down, I, I started rolling the the headphone cord around because I knew that'd be quiet, and I was tapping my foot like. So I'm gonna try and sit very still for now. Uh, I'm the same we'll way. I, I actually uh, always am squeezing a uh, orange uh, rubber ball when I'm doing podcasts, or I'm oh, stretching, or I'm doing something that uh, I know won't uh, pick up noise. But, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I'm, uh, <laughs> right, I'm looking around my desk right now for soft objects to just grab. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you need to grab a pillow or something, or I, I can't even <laughs> imagine, like, what like what it would be. They had those little fidget spinners that... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like those are for kids, but at the same time, I need one. Listen, don't... Listen, this is... I'm glad you brought that up because uh, there are so many things that we think are just for kids and they're for anybody who needs it, like uh, bedtime stories. I'm, I'm, I'm so big on listening to bedtime stories again now, and oh, yeah. I thought that was just for kids. But now, uh, like, there's a bunch of YouTube channels and um, uh, apps like Calm and uh, other apps that are... Uh, creating adult bedtime stories, and don't think that Leo Flowers won't listen to a a children's bedtime story because I'll, I'll I'll listen. I want the sound effects and all the little uh, goofy voices, but sometimes <laughs> you just need something to uh, take you back to your childhood, or that's kind yeah, of nostalgic, you know? Yeah, that's so, really cool. So when you talk about uh, depression, anxiety, but somewhere started between. 12 and 14 what did that was there something that happened did your parents divorce was there abuse bullying what was taking place um i think i went through a pretty typical childhood um it's it's interesting i I don't really remember a whole lot of my childhood actually so i'm in the process right now of trying to uncover more of that to to figure out if there was something that triggered it. Um, I had my, my grandparents died at a at a pretty young age. And I think that impacted me. Um, I saw my grandma after she died at a very young age. So that's, uh, that impacted me in a certain way. Um, there wasn't like, it's hard to pinpoint an exact thing. And that's why I say it's hard to pinpoint when it all started because, it kind of seems like the more I look back at it, it was always kind of there. And I just, it's just always the way it's been kind of. So it's hard to nail down. Like it didn't, I didn't wake up one day and was all of a sudden depressed. Were there accompanying thoughts with that depression? 
Oh yeah. Cool? Yeah. So can you can you take us through that? Because I think that for a lot of listeners, sometimes they don't know that they're going through a depression or they don't know that they're are experiencing anxiety. So what were some of those thoughts that were running through your head? Um, I think at the beginning it kind of starts um the anxiety is maybe that you're not you're not enough, I think is the kind of the core fear of anxiety. Um, for me anyway, for just not being enough of a, of a friend, of a son, of a, of whatever, whatever your, your personality may be. I've talked before about how you kind of adopt a personality. And if you struggle with mental illness, sometimes that's all you can do is put on that act and try and be that person. So to be that person, sometimes you just, um, you feel like you're not doing enough to project who you want to be. That was my kind of anxiety. And, um, with depression, I mean, they kind of go hand in hand with, um, not feeling like you're enough, but also not having the motivation to, to do it, like to, to know what you have to do and, and not be able to get up and do it is one of the most frustrating things I've gone through. I I love that idea of, uh, knowing who you want to be, that frustration of, and then feeling like you don't have the energy to do that is is that then who you really want to be or is that really who you think you should be i think it's more so who you think you should be um i know for me as a <clears throat> sorry as like a, a preteen or or an early teen i really struggled with with fitting in and kind of finding my crowd um so yeah, it was definitely like a fabricated, you, like you want to be the class clown or, or whatever you may have you like, everyone's got those kind of personality that they fit into, right? Whether you're the jock or you're the athlete, like the athlete jock or whether you're an academic or a class clown and you're still trying to figure out who you are at that point. So you kind of have like a mental image of who you think that should be and you try to adapt, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely got to be frustrating to figure out what role do I play uh, in this cast of uh, middle school and high school students. It seems like everybody has their tribe and clique. That's just it, man. It seems like everyone's got it figured out but you. But everyone feels that way. And uh, when you say everyone feels that way, how do you know that? Um, I mean, I, you could say that's a little presumptuous, I guess, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't mean it in a, um, like a confrontational way. I meant it more of like, to, to, as a, if you could explain that to the listeners so that the listeners understand that we all are struggling with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think more so just from the people that I've talked to about it, like, um, all people that I've discussed mental illness with. And it came to a point in my life where it became so prevalent to me that I couldn't hide it anymore and it had to be discussed. Um, And I found that the more I discussed it with people and the more I started sharing on social media or through my designs or my clothing line, other people would come up to me and kind of like at first kind of whispered like, yeah, you know, I've been there too. I felt the same way. And then later on, it's been like full out conversations about it, encouraging other people to do social media posts or discuss it with their families. And so I like, I think from my experience with discussing it with other people, it's a lot more relatable than I thought. Yeah. Because you realize that the thing that we all have in common is that we all are trying to fit in, right? That when you, you go, I don't have to be a jock to hang out with the jocks is the the fact that even though he is a jock, he also is struggling with fitting in as a jock. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe at home that jock's got pressure to be more academic. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is when I played college football, there were guys on our team who were, you know, 6'5", 6'6", and um, and of course, you know, you're looking at them like, of course you play football, right? Like, who do you yeah. play for? What position do you play? And But then when you talk to them, you find out that they really just want to sit in front of a computer and code all day. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're just nerds or uh, bookworms um, or they, you know, they want to start a business. Uh, they have, you know, they just played football because they could play football, but not that they had a passion for it, even though they're built for it. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. So what, how did you find, uh, how did you find a way to start connecting with people? You, You talked about how as you started having more conversations, you found out that everyone was feeling like this. Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you eventually start to connect with people and and uh, and and become more curious about people? Um, you know, I don't know if it really in a selfish way, like it just was. I needed to talk about it because I couldn't keep it in anymore. And it came to a point where, um, I don't know. I had a couple close calls with, uh, with suicide and, um, it came down to it where if I didn't talk about it, I w I wouldn't be alive. And it came down to me opening up to people and having them reciprocate in ways I didn't expect. So it's not so much that I went out seeking people to feel the same way. I just reached out because I needed to, to survive. And I was surprised with the reciprocation. Surprised with the reciprocation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now, can you, can you go more into that? Yeah. So like some of my, some friends I have, you know, and this kind of goes back to my point about everyone kind of puts on a face, right? Like everyone has that image that they want to uphold and no one wants to be openly upset every day, but some people are and, um, and they don't show it. So, I mean, some people that I really trusted throughout my life, um, I went to in a state of crisis and they would like break down crying and, and say, you know, like I've been there too and I didn't know what to do about it. So that's what I mean when I when I'm surprised by them reciprocating the same emotion and saying they've been there was surprising because like I said I mean high school was a while ago for me but it still goes back to that point of trying to fit in and trying to be loved and not everyone is as put together as they seem I'd say almost no one is So it, it sounds to me like the 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 takeaway is really in if we want to fit in, if we want to be loved, we have to start with sharing our story. I agree. And in sharing your story, you're connecting with people. Were these uh, siblings? I, I don't know. Do you have siblings? Were these best friends? What, what, um, what was the relationship that these people who surprised you had to you? Um, I do have siblings. Um I have, um, three older siblings. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely I reach out to my brother quite a bit. Um, sorry, can you hear that notification? In the yeah. Background? Yeah. What, the, where is that coming from? Sorry. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely siblings and, and best friends, um, parents, um, have been huge supporters. Um, yeah, like just pretty much. <laughs> Anyone that'll listen at at a certain point, it came down to it. Um, and that's kind of when I started like posting on social media about it and not necessarily just like pouring my heart out, but just like saying that I relate to it and that if people want to talk about it, I'm open to it. And I think that like, like you said, sharing your story, that creates a bond with people stronger than any amount of time you've known someone, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of us are afraid to share our story because, one, like you said, we think that we're the only ones going through it. Although there are millions of poems, books, movies, songs yeah. uh, expressing exactly how you feel. So the, the universe is, is definitely telling you that you're not the only one going through it. And I think, too, the other thing is that not only we are, are we afraid that no one uh, will relate to how we feel or, or connect with it, but that we will lose the people in our lives. We'll lose our siblings. We'll be ostracized, uh, be made fun of. Uh, we'll, we'll you know, have to walk the earth alone. Did you have those feelings, too, wrapped up in that? Absolutely. Um, that's a huge fear about coming forward. Um, 
with any kind of mental illness or any kind of struggle. Um, and I, I've talked to um, a good friend of mine who's in the gay community, and we've talked about kind of the similarities of coming out as um, any kind of LGBTQ or mental illness. Like that. I feel like there's a lot of similarities between it, just coming out with something that you know and you feel like you need to tell people and you're concerned how they will perceive it. Yeah, man. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, watching TV and the movies and uh, even though the imagery is getting better and the message is, is becoming clearer and we have more celebrities speaking up about it, there is still a negative uh, stigma around it and, and a residue around, especially if you talk about or, you know, ending your life. Uh, you know, there is such that's still such a taboo conversation to have with someone. Um, and, you know, they used to treat people who had cancer like that. Like if you said you had cancer, nobody wanted to be around you. It was this feeling that it was contagious and, mm-hmm. and people treat suicidality uh, or some people treat it the, the same way. But like you said, it's like as we share our story and and our perspective and then we start to learn that, oh, I felt like that before, and and you realize these people who you think have it all together are are really just barely holding on at the seams. You know, they're just hanging on by their fingertips, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then we can all cry and laugh about it together. Yeah, absolutely, and that's something too. Like being able to to laugh about it. Um, I mean, it kind of, it gets to that point where you have people that you've now shared in this experience with and you can kind of look back and, and recognize like, wow, I was in a really dark place there. And you can kind of, you can kind of laugh about it with some people because you made it through and you share that experience with them. And I would also imagine, yeah, three older siblings, either you got all the attention or none of the attention or (laughs) they picked on you or you had to hand me downs. I mean, what was, what was growing up as the youngest uh, like for you. <laughs> um, so I think this, this will sum it up. So before, before I mention this, I should say that I love my, my siblings and my cousins very dearly. Um, but being the youngest, we used to play this game called beat up Lee. And, uh, the one rule of beat up Lee was if I cried, I lost. How old were you Lee? When that when this when this game I mean come on man I asked you earlier what was there any precipitating events you're like nah man and now you're telling me that that they played a game called beat up Lee come on what what age did this start Lee why you don't even oh, need to man. be in therapy we just got to the source of it right here come on it's solved man it's done um, <laughs> I don't know maybe like. 10, 11-ish. You're killing me, Lee. 10 or 11, <laughs> of course. You're, yeah, you're getting beat up by the people supposed to love you. Of course you got some anxiety. You don't know when you're going to get punched or kicked in the face. What, what, I mean, I mean, were, you, were they pulling blood from you? Were you bruised? I'm sure surely your parents had to see this. Yeah, I don't think. It wasn't like a full beatdown. It was pretty playful. I did lose a lot, which meant I cried. Um but that might have been mostly out of fear. Um, it was never, it was never like a full-on beatdown. But um, I don't know. It, I guess it was fun for them. It wasn't much fun for me. No, it wasn't fun at all for you to have no. to, because you probably didn't even know when they were going to play the game. They were probably just sitting around bored and be like, "Hey guys, want to play beat up Lee?" And you're like, "Damn it, I'm trying to finish my." peanut butter jelly sandwich <laughs> the, these exactly. monsters <laughs> it, was never, it was never an opportune time for me that's for sure and um and and so like you said like you're you're crying in anticipation of being beat up and uh and it's your loved ones doing this too and then you said your cousins got in on this or so there's some girls throwing throwing some bu- blows in there too um, it's, it's all male except for my sister. And I don't think she ever got involved. She was always really sweet. Wow. And I, and I'm sure a part of, uh, your brain had to be like, how could my parents allow this to happen or who's going to protect me? Not even if it's not even your parents, but there's no one to protect me. If my siblings are coming after me, 
and my parents aren't stopping us. That had to be somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want this to get blown out of proportion here. I feel like that's all part of growing up. Like you kind of you fight around and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, as a kid too, though, it does seem a bit more intense than it is, and you and you do kind of get scared about things like that. And that's when I think that kind of manifests later in your life as like your defense mechanisms really rear their head, right? Defense mechanisms? How so? Um, like for me, I used to get into a lot of like fistfights later on in life. And like, so I could, I could see a correlation between the play fighting as a kid or perceived play fighting. And then when I grow up, anyone in my perceive in my area, in my physical space, I had, I had an issue with for a period of time. So I would assume it didn't take much to trigger you. It was this like, you know, somebody just bumping into you at a bar or yeah, saying exactly certain that. things, that kind of thing? Yeah, like, and it, it wouldn't even have to be to me. It was like if I heard a guy say something rude to the guy beside him, I got offended by it. Like, I just looked for something, right? I was on edge, and like you said, it didn't take much to trigger that. All right, so when we talk about we talked about depression. We talked about anxiety. How much have you talked about anger? Oh, a lot in the past. Um, I like, I'd like to preface that by saying I haven't been in any kind of physical altercation in years. Um, I, I have developed now a lot more healthier ways to deal with, um, mental illness, I think. And, um, past addiction and, and, um, abuse issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean before, and this is like that fighting stage is all before I kind of acknowledged that I really needed help. Like I'd be on medication and go to the odd counseling session, but like never really taking care of myself. Yeah. Were there, were there issues in school where you getting sent to the principal's office for fighting or, or just disruptive behavior? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, in high school, it was more disruptive behavior. Like I was a bit of a class clown, um, get in trouble for doing pranks and, and stuff like that. And then in university, it was more so, I mean, there's no principle there, but you definitely get in trouble with like your, your res advisors and different authority figures of types, I guess, for, uh, like, I mean, when you're out downtown, your school doesn't care what you do, so that you're more so in the trouble in trouble with cops and security guards and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I had some run-ins for sure with uh, because of anger and because of behavioral issues. Absolutely. How did your parents uh, consequence you or or punish you? Was it uh, physical? Was it verbal? Or were they they just let you do whatever? Um, at that point in my life, I lived in a different city. Um, so they weren't there to, um, discipline me. Not that I would really be receptive to that at that age. I don't think, um, as a kid growing up, it was all, there was never like any real physical abuse. Um, it, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think as, as far as like a child with my parents, it was, a pretty good childhood as far as I remember. Um, yeah. But I mean, at the time when I was really lashing out and like really abusing drugs and alcohol, like I was in a, I was in a different city for my parents. So they weren't really a part of the equation. At, at what age did you move into a, to a different city? Uh, I was 18. You're all right. So you're 18. And then, so growing up, if you if you got in trouble at school, did your parents were they just like taking things away from you, or uh, was there like a slap on the wrist? I'm just trying to understand the dynamic between. We understand the dynamic between you and your siblings. I'm just trying to get a, a understanding for the dynamic between you and your parents. It was more of like a stern talking to, I would say. But like, I don't know, like I. My parents always had the benefit of the doubt for me too. Like they, 
like if I went to the office for something like there, there were a couple times in high school where like I would go to the office, but like they didn't really have like the proof to, to put me down, you know? So, um, at the time I would just be like, Oh, it wasn't me and kind of get away with it because I had good grades and I played sports and I, I seemed like I knew what I was doing at the time. So, um, it was mostly just like a stern talking to if I, if I got out of line, um, but that being said, too, I didn't really hang out around home a whole lot. Like I was always out out of friends' houses or causing trouble somewhere else. And just hopefully I didn't get caught doing that. Got it. Got it. Uh, and then the type of addiction, what, what did you get into? Uh, I got into a ton of stuff. Um, but mostly it was drinking and um, cocaine was kind of the the worst of the worst. And are you still struggling with that now or have you, are you gone completely sober? I'm completely sober now. How'd you, how'd you do that? What age did you kick it? What was the inciting incident for that? Um, that was actually last year, last August. Um, so it's still a relatively new process. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Um, there's been some bumps along the road, so that's not, um, continuous sobriety, but, um, it's been a journey and, um, I would have to, I mean, the, the decision to get sober was not like one specific incident. Like I know some people have that where like they woke up in jail and were like, wow, I need to change my life. For me, it was like, I couldn't keep doing that because suicide was eminent. Um, it, I, I wouldn't, I just, I just couldn't keep doing it. I didn't have it in me anymore. I couldn't keep waking up feeling like absolute shit. So, um, I reached out to a cousin of mine in Florida, um, who's also sober and, um, yeah, she really just put me back on my feet and, uh, yeah, really cared for me and showed me that it was possible. And, and she's an absolute idol of mine. So yeah, her and her husband were kind of my lighthouse in that sense, just guiding me back to shore and, um, yeah, they've just taught me how to live with the with the help of others and community and yeah. Um yeah, it, it's that's been I think one of the more important things during my um like my mental health too like has just improved so much along with many other aspects of my life when you're not um self-medicating with harmful chemicals and uh and stuff like that. You know, I didn't drink much in college, and I found that uh, looking back, it was really just more to to fit in because everybody else was drinking, not because I really liked to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it 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 was one of those things that I mean, it never got out of hand for me because, like I said, I really wasn't um, into it, and it was a sporadic thing. Uh, what right. was it for you? Was it that you did you actually l- like the taste of whatever you were drinking and, and like the feel of of uh, of coke? You know how cocaine made you feel. Or was it just more like I, I want to fit in and uh, and this is what the cool kids are doing? I think with with all things like that, like it goes all the way back to to drinking coffee. Like no one likes it at first. Like I don't, I don't think anyone like I, th- I think I had my first beer when I was like 12 or 14 or somewhere around there. And like no one as a kid drinks a beer and is like, mm, that's that's nice. Like I think uh it's a, it's an acquired taste that you either trick yourself into liking or you just do it so much you get used to it to try and fit in. Um, and the same goes for drugs. Like I don't think anyone does it the first time and is like super thrilled about it. Um, maybe they do. I don't know. But, um, for me it was definitely like a sense of shame and guilt the next day. And like, you say you're not going to do it again and then the opportunity presents itself or you put yourself in a situation to have the opportunity present itself. And, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah. Looking back on it, I don't think I ever really liked how it felt. It just felt different or it felt numbing and I wouldn't have to worry about my natural emotions. Man, nobody talks to us about how to sit with our emotions. Uh, I had a podcast with Brian Callen where we talked about how to do that. And uh, it's tough. I mean, of, of all the, the adversaries out there and all the, uh, the enemies and terrorists, uh, just sitting with our emotions, that, that's, the, that's the hardest thing to do. 
for for most of us. Uh, as you are uncovering that, what are the emotions that are hardest for you to sit with? Um, that's a good question. It's tough because, like, at first, when I say at first, I mean, like, last year when I started to get sober is, is really the first time in my life I ever sat with any uncomfortable emotion and just went through it, like, without trying to numb it or escape it in some way or cover it up. Um, I mean, sadness is an obvious one. Loneliness is huge. Um, anger as well. Um, like I said, in my past, I had some anger issues with, um, lashing out violently, which is something I'm really not proud of. And now like, um, if I get angry, I just try and take a, take a second and and try and view myself from an outside view and think, is that how I would want to like, is that how I envision someone else acting when they're angry? Like, cause I feel like I don't know how to do it. So I need to put myself in a different frame of mind, like a different point of view and try and imagine it as someone else. Um, so anger, sadness, loneliness, even happiness can be tough. Um, just accepting that you feel good can be hard for someone like me. Um, I have this tendency where if things are going well, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm always waiting for, for shit to go wrong. Um, and that's just part of having like a pessimistic point of view and, and your depression telling you that you're not good enough or, or you're not going to be happy anyway. Um, so when you are happy, when you do feel that it's important to just soak that in and accept it as much as with any other emotion, you really just have to accept that that is how you're feeling and try and handle it in your best way possible. Man, I'm so glad you brought up the happiness uh, the emotion because you're right. Uh, for me, excitement is my most dangerous uh, emotion. Yeah. Because I don't want that emotion to end. And and then it throws off my sleep cycle mm-hmm. uh, because I, I want to, I'm excited. So like I get excited about an idea and then I, I just like I, I reach a point where I'm like I could read all the books on this and I can I can I can, you know, uh, put out 20 podcasts right now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, I, I like I want all of it like it like it, it like it becomes all consuming and, and nothing is enough. Uh, and I just kind of lose. I feel focused, but I lose focus at the same time when mm-hmm. I'm excited. Uh, and I hear, I hear you, uh, nodding, uh, I feel you nodding in agreement. Can, yeah, can you absolutely. talk to that? Yeah. Um, like a pretty good example, um, for recently, I just got a, a Jeep, which is like the car I've wanted forever. And so I got it the other day. I was taking the hard top off cause I wanted to go around without the top on. And I was so excited to do it. And I was trying to do it all myself and I was just getting like anxious and rammy and like rambunctious. And I, and I knocked the top off of it and actually shattered the glass the first day I got it. So I was just like, come on, man. But that, that's exactly it. I just, I don't know how to handle excited. I can't sit still when it happens. And even like, um, Last night, I was excited for today. I got a, a super busy day, but I had a couple things that I really look forward to. One was this podcast. Another was a counseling session. And then as far as my business day, it's, it's very busy as well. Um, and I get so excited for the next day that I can't sleep, which then prolongs the next day coming, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I, last night, I was struggling with that. I wanted to stay up. And then yeah. I, have to, I have to literally telling myself to go to bed at the parent myself say <laughs> if you go to bed then you get to have your day tomorrow but if exactly. you stay up uh you're gonna prolong it and you're gonna hate tomorrow you're gonna exactly. hate every minute of it because yeah. you didn't get any sleep tonight and it is a challenge sometimes absolutely I, I feel like somebody should write a book called Fighting Sleep because I think that is really 80 to 90 percent of where my issues stem from me fighting sleep. I get, I get this late night excitement 
and yeah. uh, and I just got to I got to figure out how to tuck myself in some nights. Yeah, absolutely. That I do the same thing. Like some nights I'll I'll find myself staying up and it's like one o'clock and I'm just like fighting going to sleep. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I should just go to bed. And and you know, part of it it goes back to that uh, feeling of inadequacy of like I didn't do enough today. Uh, uh, and that there's more I, I need to do before I can, it's almost like I have to earn sleep, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I haven't, I haven't done enough to earn, to earn rest. It's like, how dare you just mm-hmm. lay here for eight hours with your <laughs> eyes closed, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, oh, at, yeah, at, yeah. It, I mean, were you pushed as a kid to, to excel, to do great things? I mean, you, you talked about how you played sports and you and you did well academically. Or did you kind of was that maybe not even in a in an overt manner where your your parents are like you have to get straight A's, but was there maybe a subconscious or a covert message of uh, of excelling and and uh, you know making the most of your days? Absolutely, um, I feel like I'm saying that a lot, um, but uh, yeah, for sure we. Um, I mean, there was definitely pressure to excel academically. Um, I did fairly well in uh, through all throughout high school um, into university. I had a couple scholarships when I when I first went into university, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there was direct pressure from parents and teachers, um, and then there was some indirect pressure, like from friends and through myself. Like I think. I have always been very hard on myself. So for me to start slipping backwards was kind of like a, a fight my whole like adolescent life to to stop myself from doing the things that my brain was telling me to do, like um, letting my grades slip or getting more into alcohol and drugs or the parties or whatever. Like that's something I kind of fought until I really, really leaned into it and just let it become part of my life. Man, I'm glad you're sharing this because I think that for a lot of us, and and as you're saying this and realizing for me is, uh, even though I, I'm always talking about the depression and the anxiety, I really a lot of my, uh, on the flip side, the issue also is, how do I enjoy life? How yeah, do I enjoy question. peace? How do I enjoy calm? I feel like I'm just I'm just built for war like everything I'm doing like even from my morning routine is like I you know I wake up and I do mobility exercises but really it's not because I love my body it's like because what if I got to grab the the kids and go you know or yeah, yeah. uh you know something goes down there's a there's a a a, a, a public shooter and I either yeah. have to attack or hide or run or you know it's like get my body ready for whatever uh the day might bring you know uh and and so it's like, how do I, you know, my girlfriend's like, hey, why don't we, you know, hang out? And I'm just like, I don't, okay. I, I just say yes, but there's a part of me that's like, I should be doing something more productive than yeah, you know, yeah. just having dinner with her with her friends, you know. But <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's like, how do we enjoy life? Yeah, and it's it's tough. Like even the other day, I went up and visited my mom at a cottage, and the whole time I was just so anxious because I was like, I shouldn't be off work right now. And I took like half a day off and I was just like, man, I'm not doing enough. And it, it ruined the trip for me, man. And like that, that's exactly it though. It's how to enjoy. And I think part of, part of it too, is just like how to enjoy just being with yourself and just sitting with, with everything, which is something, like I said, is pretty new to me, but, um, just learning how to sit with emotions and silence and even good emotions, like what we've been saying. What do you do for work? I'm a real estate agent. Oh, oh man, it's a lot of up and down. Right, that's anxiety yeah. provoking in itself, I would imagine. Yeah, it can be. Uh, yeah, because the you know the checks aren't the same every month. I mean, I mean the, the money's good, but how now? How you know in that job we talked about connecting at the very beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. That's a job where you really have to, or, or, or a career where you really have to connect with the people who are buying and selling. How do you do that with the short amount of time that you have with them? 
I mean, it's a bit, I mean, it's different than like my clothing business. Um, I'm not going to show someone a house and immediately open up to them about addiction and suicide attempts like that wouldn't be the appropriate place for it. Um, but I mean, there are people within my client base that I have had those conversations with and we can have open conversations about houses. And I think like with, with any kind of relationship I have, whether it's business or personal, my way of approaching it these days is just complete honesty. So like, I I don't, I don't know, man, may, maybe it's going to bite me in the ass one day. It hasn't yet, but like, I don't make people sign contracts right away. I, I just like, if they want to work with me, well, let's work together. Let's, let's make it happen. If not, then we don't. Um, but I just think like just honesty is, is the best policy when you're developing any kind of relationship. I like that. Uh, it, because then you're getting a genuine uh, signing from them versus them feeling obligated to uh, yeah. sign with you. You know, you have a, a complete buy-in. Yeah. I don't, I don't want someone to like, I'm, I'm calling them because they're signed to a contract with me. They can't work with anyone else. And then they're like dodging my calls or something like that. Like I, I want someone where we can have a, a genuine relationship just because we're doing business together. doesn't mean we can't talk. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like that's, that's not right. And maybe it, that's more of a business thing and I'm pretty new to it. So maybe I'll learn as I go along that that's not going to work out. I don't know. But for now it seems to be the right move. Now, and you know, I think because, and I, I know, especially for me, uh, that I've always felt like I have to compartmentalize myself, but I, mm-hmm. as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that, uh, you do, it's okay to share parts of yourself. I mean, some people you can share it with quicker than others. Um, mm-hmm. and other people, you know, maybe they get bits and pieces here, but it, but you're right. It's like to kind of let the air out of the balloon and, and not feel like you have to put on a facade, uh, or act a certain way because we're both professionals here and this is a professional setting. It's mm-hmm. like people buy into people, right? It's like, Oh, you like the bears. I like the bears. And, and we would have never discovered that if I was like trying to keep everything about the numbers, you know? Exactly. Exactly. You talked about how your cousin stepped in and 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 kind of uh, helped to save your life. What what has she shown you? What what do you what have you learned from her that uh, is guiding you along the way? Um, I learned from man. I don't even know where to start with that question. I have learned so much from that woman. Um, yeah, she like she's just so inspiring to me and in how she she just stays true to herself, which I think is something. I think I feel like I've mentioned it so many times already, but just like the like trying to fit in, trying to be someone, trying to trying to have this image that you have to uphold. And like I, I don't I feel like I've already sworn on here, but I don't know if swearing is okay, but I just feel like that's bullshit. Um you don't have to like you can just be who you are and you don't have to fit into a certain box. And you can you can be that guy who plays football and is a nerd on the side or whatever you want to call it. Like I I just feel like she's really shown me that to be yourself is okay. And it might take you a little while to get comfortable with it, but like, you just got to keep working at it. Yeah. What is, what does your sister do for work? My sister? Yeah. I mean, your, your cousin. Oh, she's a nurse. Gotcha. Oh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, she's, she's good at taking care of people. I mean, so it wasn't too much of a stretch for her to, to help me out, but, um, I mean, she, uh, she's just done so much more for me than you'd get in a hospital. Like she, yeah, I don't know, man. She, she's changed my life. She changed my point of view on things. Like just really opened my mind to, to accepting other possibilities and, um, uh, just changed my reality for the better. Man, uh, man, this has been, uh, such an empowering conversation. I mean, we're talking about how to sit with your emotions uh, you know, getting to the to some of the root causes of our emotions, and to and to know that um, the, you know, the depression, the anxiety, uh, they're not just out of the blue. You know, for a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. they are based in uh, on some level based in our experiences and what's happened to us. And I think that uh, for a lot of us, it, you know, especially myself, I hear it in your stories that. 
we tend to minimize what happened to us as a kid because it was it was normal. It felt normal at the time. It, mm-hmm. it you know we didn't have anything to compare it to, so we didn't we didn't know anything else. And and then you become an adult, and then you look back and you go, oh wait that that was screwed up. Like that, that was, that was, that was messed up. That was abuse. Like, how could they? And, but then you're an adult and you're like, well, I, why well, I can't be mad about this now. Right. Like I'm an adult. I should be over it. So we mm-hmm. have these conflicting emotions of you, you, you get to a point where you do feel anger and then you feel like you don't deserve that anger because of, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm a, I'm real estate. I'm doing well. Uh, I have a clothing company, you know, and it's like it all worked out right and and then so we minimize our experiences and our emotions uh which then allows it to fester even more that's why i asked you about the anger part and and how you're dealing with that what what are your outlets now when you feel angry um i think just accepting that as all emotions it will pass um so just knowing that like me acting out, whether it be physically or vocally or whatever, like it's not going to change the fact that I'm angry. So like I'm just allowed to be angry now. So if I'm upset about something, I'm just upset about it. And if I'm with someone at the time, I'll just tell them like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I just need a couple minutes here. I just got to like go through this and then I can shake it off. Um, but I just really that that's the difference is that I, I have to feel it. I have to sit with it and feel it. And if I don't do that, then that's when that's when I used to lash out at something because I didn't want to feel that emotion. So I'd just like try and switch it into something else, whether that was and it would just do whatever the first thing came to your mind, which in that point in that frame of mind is rarely a constructive thing. So I think the the difference now is just being okay with feeling that. Like if I'm mad, I'm mad and I'll tell I'll tell someone about it. Like I don't mean confrontationally, but if I'm upset about something, I just tell the person that, that I'm closest to, hey, I'm upset about this. I need five. Man, you know, I've, I'm getting better at expressing that also. And I know it takes a lot of courage, Lee, to, to say that to someone, to be like, I'm upset because why I realize why that is so hard to express is we're also saying, you affected how I feel. And, mm-hmm. and that puts us in a vulnerable position to, 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 to say that uh, something external affected my internal. But, but that's Absolutely. how, right? But that's how we're navigating life, right? It's a consistent reciprocity of external and internal uh, stimuli and interactions. And mm-hmm. when we look at the feelings wheel, I'm always going back to the feelings wheel for the, for the listeners out there. When we look at anger, anger is one of the surface level uh, emotions. Uh, right. it's, it's that tip of the iceberg. And then when we start to yeah. peel back what's under, what could, what could potentially be up under the anger, you have feelings like hostile, hurt, rage, uh, critical. Mm-hmm. You also have jealousy, selfish, frustrated, uh, furious, irritated, skeptical. And these are emotions that we don't typically uh give uh, attention to we don't we don't acknowledge uh, i mean especially as a guy i'm not acknowledging hurt i'm not going to say you hurt me i'm gonna say you piss me off right yeah yeah and because hurt me it's already making me vulnerable to say um, you upset me but then to express the hurt the the uh the jealousy the uh the rage like that's to say that i'm out of control i feel out of control and and so Mm -hmm. we don't want to express that so I appreciate you for, for sharing that, but I also want to encourage the listeners to dig a little deeper be, below the, the, the anger, below the sadness, below the joy to see what else potentially is under there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Do I you, remember seeing, go ahead. seeing sorry, um, seeing that um, emotion wheel. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but I've seen that in, in therapy and um yeah, it blew my mind because I <clears throat> have always been like a surface level description kind of guy for emotions. Like it's been, yeah, I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm angry. And 
to dig deeper, like you're saying, is really powerful because you can kind of get to the root of those issues. And like you're saying with the iceberg, like anger really is just the tip. There's so much underneath it that is just it's freeing in a way when you can kind of pinpoint where that comes from. And that's how I feel like you can really start dealing with it. Are you still struggling with the depression? And if so, what are you doing for those moments where you can't get out of bed? Do you have a daily routine, something that does get you out of bed in the morning? Um, yeah. Um, it's mostly work now. Um, I, but I like to keep myself accountable to, to other people I think really helps me. Um, because for so many years I let myself down. Um, so that's kind of easy for me now. Like if I, if I say, Oh, I'm going to wake up at seven tomorrow and it's seven o'clock rolls around. And then I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to lay in bed till eight. I don't mind doing that to myself. But if I tell someone that I'll be there, <clears throat> I have a hard time letting other people down. So like I work with my dad and I'll tell him like, I'll, I'll see you in the office at, at nine o'clock or at eight 30 or whatever it is. And that gives me something. So like setting meetings with other people or setting goals to have certain things done at a certain time is more so how I do it. Like the basis of my work is hard to do like a daily routine. Um, but I mean, in, in other ways of managing depression, um, medication I'm on, um, is beneficial um, const, not constant, but consistent therapy. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just constant work, man. It's, it's not like for me, I don't think it's ever going to go away. Like the, the kind of depression that I have, it's not, it doesn't seem to be triggered by much. It's just cyclical. And, um, so yeah, it's just something that I'm like, I, I joke with my therapist that I'm getting pretty good at being depressed because I just kind of, like I know how to, when I see the signs coming, I know that's when I really got to start kicking it into work and like doing those extra things. Like I find if if my alarm goes off and I hit snooze, like I'll I'll be in bed for a while. So as soon as my alarm goes off, I need to like kick my legs out of bed and and get out of there before it becomes my day. Wait, so that's kind of my yeah. I'm the same way, man. I yeah. I, it it. Man, as soon as that, if if I don't get out of bed, I'm in bed. It's a wrap. The, the, that's it, it. Cancel all of it. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Absolutely. And how old are you now? I'm 26. All right. So, talk to me about the clothing company and 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 what it is you're, you're you want to do and what's the intention uh, behind the clothing company and combining that with mental health awareness. Um, the whole point of it. Um, for me, I want, I want Ellis original to be synonymous with mental health. Like I want that to be something like, um, I'm trying to think of like an example, like, you know, like how the live strong bracelet, you saw someone wearing that and you're like, Oh, they're supporting cancer. Right. Or like maybe they know someone who has it, but it became a talking point. Like it became something that, and like you, you said, um, earlier that people used to avoid people with cancer until it becomes normalized in society, that's going to be the result. The end result is that people are not comfortable around it. So I want it to be something like I, I had, I had one shirt I released about a year ago that said hopeless, romantic, depressed. And, um, like if you're wearing a shirt that says manic depressed on it, maybe, I don't know, maybe it sparks a conversation about that. Or I, I just want the whole point of it is I want to normalize discussing mental health. And I want it to not be something that you're scared of. Like we, we talked about it earlier too. Like you're scared of mentioning it because you don't know how other people are going to react. I want to like, I want that to be removed. Like in my like future children's generation, I don't want that to be a problem if they're struggling with mental health for them to come forward and say that and be scared of what the outcome is going to be. I don't want that. So I, I don't know. Like my main goal of it is just to, I guess, normalize discussion um, normalize symptoms and kind of control stigma. I don't think you'll, will ever end it. Um, cause there's always going to be people with disappointing points of view, I guess is an easy way to say that. Um, but yeah, just maintaining stigma and, um, opening discussions is, is really my goal. 
I love that. Yeah, man. You know, I have these T-shirts uh, that say "Before you kill yourself" on them, and I could, I know it was, uh Obviously, people look at me, and I could tell they have questions, and uh, I, I get excited. I want them to ask me questions about yeah. it because uh, it's not so much about uh, convincing people ab- uh, about uh, you know how uh, the importance of of, of destigmatizing uh, suicide uh, uh, ideations or thoughts. It's more about just sharing your story. And, mm-hmm. and, and nobody, for the listeners out there, it's, you, you don't have to you know, convince people about your mental illness or ex- explain your mental illness. It's just you know, tell your story. It's like, hey, you know, I thought about ending my life a few times. And, and so, you know, uh, and sometimes, or sometimes I feel lonely. Um, and, 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 and you can just leave it at that because everyone, or at least most people understand feeling lonely. They understand feeling angry, uh, or hurt or, uh, or excited even, you know, um, there's so many shirts that say calm. If a shirt can say calm, why can't it say, uh, ashamed or, you know, trusting or, you know, hopeful or uh, you know, hostile. You know, why why yeah. can't it? Why can't we list all of them? Why is calm the only one that we get to feel? Uh, we're human emotions, and uh, we we get to go through that whole cycle. So I appreciate you uh, bringing a t- attention and awareness to it. Thank you. Where can people uh, get get the clothes? Get the shirts? Do you, uh, well first? Do you have other shirts that say other things? I know you mentioned um, one. Yeah, right now um, I have one. One of my favorite ones uh, just says "Cry about it" across the front, um, and that again goes back to the point of just feeling your emotions, right? Um, uh, what else do I have out right now? I also do custom jackets um, with like patchwork and uh, screen printing and sewing. Um, I have one that's got like an octopus on it. it says "Deep Down," and that's just like about how sometimes you bury your emotions. Um, I got one that says tide will turn because like I mentioned, all emotions pass, whether that be depression, happiness, anger, sadness, any of those deeper level emotions that we talked about. Um, yeah. And, and those are all available. You can go to my Instagram page, which is just Ellis original, um, E L I S original. And, um, yeah, I got a link in there for my Etsy shop right now, which is all I have set up for online. I'm, I'm planning on getting a website going, Maybe later this year, I don't know. Um, but I do have some more clothing coming out in August as well. I'll have some hoodies and then shirts and, and hats. Uh, and and why why the clothing? Why was that the the area that you wanted to go? Is that what you majored in in college? How'd you get into the the clothing? No, in, in university actually, I was in marketing, and then um, I started doing like graphic design just for fun. Um, as kind of like a creative outlet. Um, it was a way for me to kind of be alone and, um, just work on something creatively, like get ideas out of my head and on, onto something. Um, and then I, uh, after university, um, I was working construction for a bit and then I went into uh, screen printing. So like printing t-shirts. Um, so the two of those just kind of went hand in hand and I've always just been kind of, amazed with like the street culture of clothing. Like, um, I remember just like brands growing up, like Stussy in the hundreds and stuff like that, how, how they make like really cool clothing with like just t-shirts and hoodies, but it would still be like really fashionable and design forward. Um, I've never really been into like high fashion, but, um, yeah, I've just always kind of appreciated the streetwear stuff. And, uh, I think there's a lot of power in, in what you wear and, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a cool way to show support for something. And uh, like I said before, you look, you look good doing it. I love it, man. And last question I ask this of all the guests out there, uh, of all the guests that I have on a podcast, because uh, I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Lee? Uh, before you kill yourself reach out. Um, that's the best advice I've ever had. And it's saved my life many times. Um, there's, there's always someone going through what you're going through. I mean, it's, it's crazy to, um, 
to think about it because I know it can feel, you can just feel so alone at times. Um, but you got to reach out to somebody, um, whether that be a, a, a friend, a family member, um, that I don't know how, if there are in the States, I know in Canada, we have crisis hotlines. I'm sure you guys do. Um, hospitals, any kind of medical professional, um, you just got to reach out. And, um, I got a little saying with my clothing line. One of our, our slogans is, uh, if you feel alone, you're with us because there's a ton of us that feel that way. Um, and that's kind of, that provides some comfort for me, but, uh, yeah, reach out. I love that slogan. If you're, if you feel alone, you're with us. And then what was the other, what was the second part of it? Yeah, that's it. If you're, <laughs> if you, if you oh, feel alone, you're with us. Oh man, that, that's great. I have to write that one down. That, uh, yeah. that, that's something I'm going to put on a little sticky note, uh, there you go. to remind myself, uh, Lee Skovsgaard, I appreciate you taking this time to, to be with us, uh, for the listeners out there. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICID number or, uh, 1-800-273-TALK or the other, uh, numbers that are listed in the show notes. Like, like Lee said, reach out. You have to take that step. You, we, could, we can't sit back and wait for someone to help us, to rescue us. We have to pick up the phone. We have to yell from the rooftop, pick up a bullhorn, call an enemy, mm-hmm. call, call an yeah. ex, call someone and, uh, and, and share your story. Uh, just call the wrong number. It don't even have to be the right number. Just call, yeah. call customer service. They got to listen to you. <laughs> um, they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. They can't hang up on you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all been recorded, so they can't hang up on you. That's right. Um, but, but reach out, talk to someone, and let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks so much, Lee. Thank you, Leo. I appreciate your time.